Hi there, I'm Marianne Lozano, President of the Broadleaf Board of Directors and the Conference Chair for the 9th Annual Broadleaf Writers Conference. This year, our conference will be held Saturday and Sunday, September 21st and 22nd at the Decatur Library in Decatur, Georgia. The 9th Annual Broadleaf Writers Conference offers two days of panels, workshops, one-on-one -on -one pitch and mentoring sessions, a first pages critique, opportunities to meet and chat with our guest authors and literary agents, and plenty of time to spend with a community of fellow writers in attendance. We strive to attract top-level speakers, both with a track record of success in the industry, as well as those just beginning their careers, with the capacity and desire to help writers on their path to publication. This year, we're thrilled to be headlined by New York Times bestselling author Mary Kay Andrews. Registration for the 9th Annual Broadleaf Writers Conference opens May 1st, so be sure to save the date. To learn more about our conference, I hope you'll visit our website at broadleafwriters.com. See you this fall. Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of Right Now, a podcast on the craft and business of writing presented to you by Broadleaf Writers Association based in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm your host, Zachary Steele, and on today's episode, we're turning the spotlight on a member of our writing community, Christine Rudolph. Christine is represented by Mo Ferreira of the Bookends Literary Agency, who she met at the 2019 Broadleaf Writers Conference. Christine is interviewed by Broadleaf board member and director of social media, Jessica Bowers. So sit back and enjoy getting to know Christine. And if you're interested in joining Broadleaf for your time in the spotlight, you can do so at broadleafwriters.com. Thank you for joining me today on the next Broadleaf Member Spotlight. Really appreciate you sitting down with me and chatting about your writing today. Could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Yes. My name is Christine Rudolph, and I am a mom of three. I have a, let's see if I get this right, a junior in high school, a sophomore in high school, and an 11-year-old. And then two dogs who right now are as demanding as the children. <laughs> um I grew up in Tennessee and in Texas. I spent most of my summers in Texas and then moved to Texas. So I came to Atlanta in 1998 from Austin and have been, have been here continuously since then. I live in Decatur right now. I, I went to law school and um, have not practiced law um, after moving to Atlanta. Um, but when I first started writing, I figured I may as well leverage that law degree. And so I started writing first for adults. And so I started writing very purposefully with the intent of publication in 2003. And um, I self-published a novel. And it um, the whole time I was, um, I was working full-time as well. Um, I self-published my first novel, which was, um, you know, it was kind of a... <sighs> I needed to get out of my system and have somebody read my writing and get it out there. And then after that, I wrote two more adult novels <clears throat> and um, had, a, had it was actually a broadleaf. I had a moment of real clarity when I had one of my agent meetings and um, the agent said to me, if you are not willing, I was kind of writing um, kind of th domestic thrillers is what I would say. 
And, you know, he said to me, if you are not willing to really go very dark and very big in that third act, then this may not be the genre for you. And turns out he was really right. (laughs) So um, I made this shift to writing for children and I write for upper middle grades and love that. And so um, now I, I freelance write, I work um, for organizations that kind of need help with their messaging and I beta read, I um, beta read just on my own. And then also with the spun yarn and um, I write my own books three. Yeah. I've had three in the hands of the, of my agent. The fourth one just got sent last week and um, you can't find any of them on the shelves yet, but my fingers are still crossed. <laughs> Please. I need all the things <laughs> I can get. Well, I know that, uh, that, that process, that waiting game is the worst. It, it, it can really take some patience. Um, so what has inspired some of your stories? Can you tell us a little bit about a few of them? Yeah, you know, actually, yes, just yesterday, I went to speak to a class of um, like 46th graders about the 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 whole process of writing. They're they're about to begin um, working on their own kind of narrative writing. And the teachers said um, they're very averse to editing. And I said, yeah, yeah, we all are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard for all of us. Yep. So she said if, um, <clears throat> you know, if they could see that like real writers edit, um, so I, I went and um, presented to them and I walked them through, I used Shannon Hale had a quote lately um, that was on Twitter. I'll, it'll still be Twitter for me. And she said um, she has to remember her, that when she's writing her first draft, it's like she's putting sand in a box so that she can build castles later. So I kind of played off of that metaphor, which is really a compelling metaphor. The more you think about it, that you just that creative process is when you just shove everything there and then you kind of like sculpt and it takes shape and then you start to layer in some detail. So I I loved it. And the kids, it resonated with the kids, but in, in going through that metaphor, I realized that I always start with a what if question, which is um, I like to say it's like the positive side of my tremendous anxiety and um, OCD (laughs) because, you know, I'm asking what if, what if the moon just drops out of the sky? What if um, I walk to my mailbox and somebody comes around the corner too fast? All of those worries are grounded in what if, but so are my stories. So um, the most recent one that I just submitted was um, the what if was, what if two girls in um, different decades got comfort from the same hiding place? Like they went to the same hiding place. What would they both experience there? The... um, the one before that, the question was, what if a child got strep throat on a very, very important day in sixth grade? And she thought that literally that was the worst thing that could ever happen. But the fact that she was not school that day ended up saving her life. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> the kids, the kids are like, I want to read that book. Um, and then before that, um, another book was, what if a superstar, a soccer superstar goes missing and an obsessed fan goes on a journey to find her? Um, and then the the fourth of my children's books, um, the what if was what if 
the only person who will listen is someone who, who died a long time ago. So, okay. so I always start with the what if, and, and those, the what ifs come from, you know, the same place, all the anxiety comes from <laughs> just kind of looking around and observing. Although this morning on my walk, I, the, the early what ifs for my next project began. And I can say, for example, I had been toying with this idea and it really coalesced after reading a story in the Atlanta journal constitution yesterday. And so I do try to read and expose myself to so many, like, for example, I read the obituary page every single day because that's literally life stories put out for public consumption. <laughs> so I will, I, I never will, thought about it like that. You're right. Yeah. It is. I mean, and they're presented, I mean, it's, there's so many layers because they're presented by the people who are still living in some instances, people write their own, own obituaries, but largely it's, you know, I sometimes try to guess who it is. Is this the surviving spouse? Was it a child? You know, who, who does it benefit to have it framed this way? Um, I get very interested when a former spouse is mentioned, when a former spouse is left out, just I'm super nosy. And I read, <laughs> I, so I read these uh, obituaries. I read if I'm out for a walk and I see a memorial bench, I will stop and I will look at it and I will Google that person. Um, I'm just kind of always soaking up stories everywhere I go. So I have to ask, and I don't know if, if this is as prevalent around you as it is me. Have you seen those folks driving around with like the stickers on the back of their car for memorials for people? Do you, do you Google those folks too? Not while you... I'm driving. No, well... not while I'm driving. <laughs> those are harder, you know, because you don't have any context. So like, mm. um, <clears throat> I live very close to the Olmstead linear parks and there are a lot of memorial benches on there and you can kind of figure out that the person probably lived in that neighborhood. So you can, you can Google around on them, but if they're just in a car also, I won't do it while I'm driving, but, um, so yeah, no, I do have my limits. <laughs> so, yeah, no. well, I figured maybe if it was a passenger seat kind of activity. Yeah. Well, I'm never in the passenger seat. I'm always driving children everywhere all over the uh. city. <laughs> so, so going from kind of that, you call it kind of a domestic fiction, that that adult genre over into a, a children's genre, a middle grades genre. That's a that's a pretty big leap. Um, what drew you to the the middle grades as a genre for you to write in? Well, I mean, I have I had like a focus group in my house, so that was great. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I just I had this moment where I was thinking, as my children get older, what, what do I, how do I want to spend my time? And the thought of, of living in this world of dark, you know, the, the dark places in human minds did not really appeal to me. And I wanted to stay in conversation with children and I wanted to stay in conversation with children about books. It's just my favorite thing. And so the best way to do that then is to, you know, either go back to school and become a librarian <laughs> or an English teacher or to write for them. So, um, and once I started, it was so natural. It, it, it was very validating when I started that first book because um, it was, I mean, now I'd been writing for a long time, but it was better than anything I'd written before because it just, it appealed to my, my, I guess my earnestness and my, um, my view of the world just tends to be more, um, 
I'm not going to say childlike, but more, um, yeah, I mean, just, just earnest would be the best way to say it. You know, I'm, I'm just not really a jaded kind of person. And so, um, that's, that's an easy thing to bring into a middle grade novel and was making the dark psychological thrillers really hard, (laughs) maybe a little too chirpy. (laughs) You, it's a chipper psychological. Eh. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that. It's a it's a rompy um, domestic thriller. <laughs> oh, I I love that though because we I feel like we do kind of have a, a bit of a jaded worldview, just generally speaking. Um, a, you know, a lot of folks kind of see the the darker sides of things. So being able to look at it from a light side and embrace that kind of optimism, kind of hope, I. I love that. I feel like that's a gift. And I love that you get to share that with children. Well, my books are sad, though, is the irony. My books are very sad. And actually, um, you know, that was with the the one that um, that landed me, my agent. I mean, we got that ready to send out on submission right before COVID. And we were just like, we we can't do this. It's too sad. Oh. Um, no editor is going to want to read this. And um, I, I trust children to handle different difficult material. I, as a parent want my children to experience the difficulties in life in a story and in a book before they experience them out in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, a very important role that literature plays for de- de- the developing mind. And, um, so my, my, just my obsessed like the author I would aspire to be and who I just adore in the children's um, realm is Kate DiCamillo. You know, she has amazing range. Her stories are just, they're just everything. They're just everything to me. I love them. And um, she wrote an essay in Time Magazine and she had been asked a question, I think it was by another author at a forum about whether um, it's okay to tell children the sad things about the world, the truths of the world and her response. And I'm going to bungle it, but um, it was so inspiring to me. And she said, you know, it's our responsibility to tell the truth in a way that makes it bearable. And Mm. her example was E.B. White Charlotte's Web. And I, I do think, you know, the more I, I ponder this, it is the most perfect children's book because at the end of that story, I mean, the title character dies. Spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't know the story. Um, the title character dies. And we have grown to love her over the pages. And and yet it is a magical book. You still walk away with hope. And, you know, there's the, the scene of spring coming and Charlotte's um, descendants are, you know, filling Wilbur's life. And so, you know, White did it took the reality that every creature dies and we still walk away feeling that we loved and experienced that character, but that we can go on. Um, and so I, that's what I hope to do. And, and it does, however, make writing like queries and synopses a little challenging sometimes because, <laughs> because, you know, that's a lot of that's in the detail and the nuance where you're, when you're just writing it out, it's like, Ooh, that's, um, that's heavy. That's, that's difficult. Oh, but I like that. And I think too, that's, there's still an element of, of hopeful optimism in that it's showing, yes, there are, you know, in that specific example, yes, there are times that are going to break your heart in, in this world, but then 
there's new life at the end of it. There's still things to go on and enjoy. Um, and I love that that you get to bring that to young readers. I was watching for the 47,000th time Still Magnolias a few weeks ago because my girls had never seen it. And so I think good. that's the power of that storytelling as well. And, you know, that was based on a true story. The, scre the screenplay was based on um, a, pl a play and it was his sister who was Shelby, basically. And, you know, at the end of that, you see Sally Field um, still sad, still missing her daughter, um, but acknowledging that that, you know, life goes on, life moves on. And, and I think that that's, um, I think that you walk away from those stories feeling um, somehow like really human, you know, really mm. very human. Um, so anyway, so uh, go ahead. Um, when you're, <laughs> um, I was just, I was, if, or, or I was going to ask as you're going through your writing, um, it, it sounds like you have a lot of great inspirations. What are your what are your go-to tools for kind of condensing all of these ideas into that book? So I love that because that was one of the things that when we built our sandcastles yesterday, the one of the first thing you have to have the idea, you have to have the desire to, to build a sandcastle, and then you have to gather your tools. So, you know, they were gathering their buckets and their sand and their, you know, little specialized like paintbrushes and that kind of thing. And so um, I use Scrivener. I, I, um, it, which is not a necessity for me because I'm actually a pretty linear writer. Um, I think the people who value Scrivener the most are the people who write in scenes and then kind of move the scenes all over the place. Um, but I do find it incredibly useful to keep my uh, my character descriptions. I'm, I'm going to the left side because that's where they are on the screen. My character descriptions, my research, um, like just all right there that I can get to quickly because I have the kind of brain that if I store it somewhere else, like I used to keep them in notes on my computer. And if I have to go to another application, then I'm like, oh, wait, I need to schedule that doctor's appointment for the child. So um, I can't, I need to have nothing take me out of the writing when I finally get time carved out. So I use Scrivener, uh, but before I even get to Scrivener, I, I use a yellow legal pad and pen. And I, I would probably describe myself as a planter. Um, I plot out the main story arc and it's usually like bullet points it's nothing fancy so you know maybe three pages of that this latest book was the first one i've done that was a dual point of view and it's um contemporary and historical so in that's in that case i did the first character's plot the second character's plot and then kind of as they converged i did the plot but so normally i just kind of you know just flip through those pages and write that out and then i'll usually do a little um character description. I'm, I'm really bad with visual visuals. So I will frequently, I don't do like a Pinterest board or anything, but I will find like, I'll use Zillow and I'll find a house that approximates the house that my characters live in so that I can go to Zillow and, and say like spatial reasoning is, is I'm not great at. So I'll be like, Oh, okay. To the left of the door, front door is the door to the living room. And that's that sort of thing. And that helps me like place the characters in that. So I use that, um, for this historical bit, I used a ton of personal interviews. Um, this, my story takes place in Atlanta and um, the historical part was in the 1960s. So a lot of like my friend's parents were alive then. So, and my mom is of that age. She's not in Atlanta, but I would call her and just be like, okay, you're 12 years old. 
you are taking off your church clothes and you're going to play with your friend. Describe to me the outfit you're taking off and the outfit you're putting on. And so there we go. Um, and so, but interestingly, I do my first draft in Scrivener, but I don't ever edit in Scrivener. I mean, I'll, I'll, you Mm -hmm. know, if I see an error, obviously I'll fix it. But, um, but for whatever reason, I mean, one reason is the font's really small there. Um, but I will then go to, I use a Mac, so pages and put it in pages so that I can edit. And this round I had my iPad with my Apple pencil or whatever and did it that way. So, but in the past, I've always printed them out, but, um, that the Apple pencil turned out to be a real gift. Um, don't have the best handwriting. So I need to be very careful about like (laughs) writing the words because there was a lot of like, huh, what did I mean there? Um, and so, so yeah, so those are my, like my, the literal tools I use to, to write. What is something you wish you had known before you launched your writing career? I mean, how many hours do you have? Um, (laughs) One of the things, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the, the things is just how long it does take you to, to cultivate the craft. I mean, I, I was a a great writer. I, you know, graduated from a top 25 law school in the top 10% of my class. I could make, I could craft a legal argument. Um, So, you know, I had a lot of technical proficiency where professional writing was concerned. I had done a lot of persuasive writing. I had been a fundraiser. I did a lot of persuasive writing. So I thought, "Mm, I'm I'm a good writer. I can do this. And um, there's writing and then there's telling a story. And the craft mm. of telling a story, I I had not given enough thought to. Um, and so, so, I mean, I would say I'm learning every single day still, um, but I would have not been so, um, you know, got to get it out there, got to get published, blah, blah, blah. I would have done a lot more just sitting back and writing things just for the sake of writing. And, and a corollary to that, sorry, I have a grandfather clock. Um, a corollary to that is that I would have gotten my writing in front of more people who were also writing earlier on. I do have a critique partner who I've had for maybe 15 years now, but, um, but I think Early on, I was just kind of giving it to friends and they're, oh, girl, that's great, you know, but I needed people who were really going to push me and help me grow as a writer. And that, so that was, I mean, I probably wasted five years not doing that. Well, I know uh, you had mentioned um, at a Broadleaf conference that you had met a, an agent who had kind of helped you realign the, the genres that you were focused on. Um, how else has being part of a writing community um, helped you find that uh, support or inspiration for your writing career? Well, I got my agent because of Broadleaf. So oh, I, nice. took, yeah, I took part in the um, first pages critique and it was um, 2019. Yeah. So like September, October, 2019. And the, my weekends are crazy in the fall because I've got two soccer playing kids and then a third kid. And so I had had to leave early that day because of a soccer game or event and when I got home from whatever it was I, I went to, I had, I can't remember it was an email or a text message from Zach Steele saying that one of the agents responded to my first page and wanted to talk to me the next morning. So um, that was amazing. <laughs> I was very excited. 
And so I gathered the materials that um, she needed to see because I, I don't think I was even pitching at that point. Um, I can't remember if I'd had pitch appointments or not, but I don't think I did. Um, and th- so I got to the event that next morning and Benji Carr, I'll never forget this. He was in the row behind me and he passed me a note that was said, um, the agent's name really loved your stuff. Um, you're supposed to meet with her. And it was so adorable. It was like such a flashback to fourth grade. Um, but to see, I, I mean, I might get a little misty because to see people who are also in the struggle, like be so genuinely excited for me, that was just everything. Um, I learned something at every single panel. Um, I've gotten to have amazing conversations with brilliant writers. You know, the, um, I, I think about the lunch that I had with Jocelyn Jackson. I sat next to her and for an hour we chatted about her work and she asked me for some thoughts on a plot line that she was developing that then I later got to read that book. I mean, where else does that happen? So that's amazing. And then I just developed friendships with people who understand what this, this life is like, and it can be incredibly, incredibly challenging, um, to face, you know, I have faced now 20 years of rejection with a couple of yeses peppered in there. And I have cried a lot. I, it has definitely affected my self-worth. And if you, I have wonderful friends, I have amazing friends, and I'll try to have conversations with them about what, you know, what this means to me. And, and they're like, you're, but you're so good. And you're such a good writer. And it is so nice to be with people who actually understand the slog, that they live Mm -hmm. the slog, that they, that they know how much that rejection hurts. And they also know why you keep doing it, even though you keep getting the rejection. Um, it's so, so that shared community, I, honestly, I, I think I would have given up a long time ago if I had not found Broadleaf. Um, it, it's been very meaningful to me. I think that's my, my favorite part, that supportive and understanding of the struggle. And it's, it's something that I feel like every writer, if you, like you said, if you don't find it, it becomes harder and harder and harder for you to keep pushing through. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the people who are just superstars right out of the gate don't need it. But those of us who are toiling away in the real world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Millie Bobby Brown probably does not need a Broadleaf Writers uh, Association, but I need it. <laughs> so are you working on uh, anything right now? Like, are, are, have you got anything in the works? Well, so, you know, like I said, that story finally, finally kind of coalesced for me. And that is how it happens. I will noodle and noodle and noodle and noodle. And then just something, I will see something. And it's like, that just brought it together. That's the story. I'm ready to go. So I'm very excited to start writing again. Um, my last book is in the hands of my agent. And um, I just, I actually, I had a walk with a friend who's a, elementary and middle school librarian this morning. And we went over her notes on the project. And, you know, I, 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 after that walk, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to put that away. I need to emotionally detach from that. And I need to start on this next story. And now that I really have a sense of what that story can be, I'm, I'm excited again. Cause I did have that, like, oh, great. I sent her another one. That's not going to sell. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's good to be excited again. But um, yeah, my expectation is it'll be contemporary. I, I I liked writing the historical bit in the last one. Um, it was very, very, very long for me. Like it having to do that research. And again, that with my ability to get distracted, you know, I would go down a rabbit hole and that's just, I don't lead the kind of lifestyle where I can live in those rabbit holes. I, I usually get 
you know, I'm working only when my kids are at school because I have to have silence in the house and no distraction and, you know, no appointments, no, no, no workers coming to do anything. So I've got to maximize my time and to do justice to a historical fiction, you really need to dig in super, super deep. And, mm-hmm. um, and I just don't, I don't have the bandwidth to do that again. Um, I liked it. It made the story what it needed to be, but the next one is going to be all contemporary. <laughs> Something a little closer to home. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, and I mean, that, that's not to say there aren't challenges even in like making sure you're not anachronistic, you know, technology move, moves so fast and what kids do and how they talk mm. moves so fast. I mean, you still have to do research and I'm still always paying attention and listening. It's just that, um, that research will be just, you know, one step away instead of three, four five steps away. Yeah. Um, I, I just was catching on to the term yeet. And then I was informed by my uh, daughter that Yeet was was now cringe. <laughs> okay, yeah, we're done. We're done with that. I'm like, well, okay, I, was then. In the, I was sitting in the library one day when my son was in eighth grade and um, the aftercare was in there and there was this table of like 10 boys and they were behaving terribly. And I just sat there and I was listening to them talk and I, it dawned on me, I will never be able to recreate the actual dialogue of kids in my age range. I, I I can't try because to your point, it will change and mm. it's, it would be unreadable. You know? <laughs> I mean, like right now it would just be like, bruh, bruh. Yeah. Like, yeah, bruh. I mean, that's all they would say. Three and pages the, of bruh. <laughs> and the intonation, it tells you what you need to know. Or like, uh, yeah, like I know, I know. Yeah. I love you so much. <laughs> you know, I mean, like my daughter's conversations are very coded, we'll say. There's a lot of coding in the teenage world, and um, I, I I can't do that. <laughs> well, where can folks connect with you? So, um, well, I actually send out a weekly newsletter every Friday. I send out a newsletter. Well, I say every Friday. It's actually almost every Friday because sometimes life does get in the way. And so I have a website, christinerudolph.com. And um, on the contact page, they can sign up for my newsletter. And I talk about story there. It's not all about books. It's not all about literature. Um, But I talk about story. I talk about parenting. I throw in some recipes. It's really I try to curate things that people aren't going to see in um, just their normal, like, you know, reading the Washington Post, New York Times, that kind of stuff. Um, I try to find different voices, unique voices, but it's really, it's just like kind of whatever interests me. Like, for example, I think this week I'm including a link to this sterling silver bubble wand that's like a baby gift. You know, people give sterling silver spoons as a bubble wand. And I'm just like, hey, that's a thing that exists. That's in, that's interesting to me. So um, not and, and not a link like, oh, you should buy this. It's more just the curiosity of the thing. So um, so yeah, so christinerudolph.com on the contact page is where you can sign up for that. And I would love, and at the end of all of those emails, um, I say, let's chat, you know, respond to me and I'll get, it's crazy the, it's funny because sometimes I'll include stories about SEX um, and everybody reads those. I can see that people read those and nobody asks me questions about those, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I'll get feedback. Oh, I made this recipe or I read that book too. Let's talk about that. Cause a lot of times I'll say, 
I just read this book. I have got to talk to somebody about it. I'm about to burst. So I'll have book conversations. Um, that's the place where people can find information on um, my beta reading. And I do some specialized like authenticity reads for um, legal issues. Um, and I have a Facebook page and I have an Instagram page and they both, they each have kind of a, a different feel to them. I'm also on X, formerly Twitter. That's where I tend to be kind of most political. Um, so most of my book stuff happens on Instagram. I have a very big highlight section of all the books that I love and book events and booky things. So. Okay. And we'll make sure to include those links in the write-up as well. So it'll be easy for folks to click on those. Thank you. Thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me today. It has been an absolute pleasure and I've really enjoyed getting to know you. I can't wait to put this out in the world and let some more folks get to know you. I really appreciate it.